Should we go to Panto this year or just watch the news? Does Santa drink and drive after all that free booze? Very shortly, it's Answer Me This's 10th birthday. Pretty exciting. I never thought uh, we would see the day. And of course, 10 years ago when we started on the 2nd of January 2007, Mm. Serial hadn't even invented podcasting yet (laughs) and wouldn't for a further eight years. That's right. And so you may rightly be wondering, well, how are we going to celebrate our Mm. forthcoming 10th anniversary? Well, this podcast is eight days older than my niece Matilda, and she's planning to celebrate by boxing oh right that's what she wants for her birthday a punch bag how curious yeah she's she's a clever girl yeah it's good to see that she's also uh exercising her physical side as well as in like you know it's almost like a sort of classical approach isn't it you know you need to be a superhero of the mind and the body she is the child of two people who studied classics Mm. i think she's also just quite punchy i wouldn't say that andy really uh particularly represents physical uh, supremacy in any How area. dare you? <laughs> but we digress. So you might be thinking, right, are we going to have a live event? Are we going to invite a load of celebrities to participate like we did before? Kids party? Um, <laughs> uh, we're not going to do any of that. What we very nearly did, listeners, yeah. is stop doing this altogether. It's really my fault because um, I thought it's coming up to 10 years and it'd be nice to go out you know, on a landmark and while the show still feels like it's good, it still feels like you like it, listeners. Yeah, oh, more than that. Yeah, wouldn't want show... it to get to the stage like with a pet where you're like, well, it looks like the pet I used to like, but it is incontinent and senile and I can't hug it anymore because it claws at me. We didn't want to get to the point in our narrative mm. where Chandler and Monica got together. <laughs> it was basically the issue. Or where Rachel and Joey got together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's more, more to the point. And Very pertinent. Yeah, you're, you're right. We're actually yeah. at the point where Chandler and Monica got together. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I was 26 <laughs> when I started. I had a young person's rail card. Now my eyebrows are going grey. Um, so, you know, <laughs> our lives have changed. And, and also, um, I mean, there are lots of reasons. One of the casualties of 2016, along with all these celebrities, has been my sense of humour. Mm. <laughs> it's been uh, an existential year for a lot of people. Yeah. But before you all take to social media and start doing hashtag pray for AMT. The Trump times happened and I thought, no, I cannot give up answer me this. We have to be the band on the deck of the Titanic playing as it goes into the water forever. So, yeah, behind the scenes listeners over the last month or two, uh, you, you never knew how close to the brink you were. But we've it's very like the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> it is. It's our little tribute to Castro that we are continuing <laughs> with Answer Me This now. <laughs> However, we've decided to make some changes. Uh, are we firing Martin? Yeah. What? <laughs> I have to say, uh, I don't think Ollie wanted the show to end uh, at this point, And I don't think Martin really gave a shit either way. What? Um, so it was being driven by me a bit. And it was partly because I was feeling kind of overstretched and burnt out. And like, I didn't have anything to give anymore, listeners. Nothing left to give. So next year, there will be less of the show, but there will still be show. Well, let's let's be specific. There's a new Thursday for you to care about. Yes. Where where you've spent the last few years thinking every other Thursday was important. Now it's every other other Thursday. It's going to be (laughs) the first Thursday of every month. Add it to your Google calendars. Yes. Circle it in your filofaxes. Tattoo it on your children's faces. The only one with a filofax. Uh, First Thursday of every month will be your new day for new answer me this so there'll be longer episodes and there will be stuff in between listeners we're not necessarily going to leave you hanging for a whole month if you answer me this but but a whole new shiny episode of answer me this first thursday of every month but for those of you who are thinking okay fine yeah but your 10th anniversary episode is coming up next month what are you going to do desperate to do something i I need to be involved i do uh you can be you can send us voicemails telling us what this show means to you and we'll play them in the show or a funny story about when you listen to answer me this or Or, or if anyone's made friends or Mm. indeed found a partner because of this show those are the slightly self-indulgent stories we would like to play out in the form of voicemail montages in next episode preferably not relationships that ended really badly because i can think of one or two listener relationships that went down in flames (laughs) but that's fine i mean a story is a story Uh, we want to know how our show has in some small way wormed its way into your life called the usual numbers you can skype answer me this or you can should we sing it yes like the olden days oh. cool oh, oh, two, oh, oh, eight, one, two, three, five, eight, double, seven. or you could record a voice memo and email it to us yes you could do that too get those in by new year's eve yes I would say so that we have time to uh 
cut so the shit cherish out. Them. So we have time <laughs> and, to cherish them. And cherish them as well, yeah. Um, and uh, what, what, what was that you said, Ollie? Send us lavish gifts? No, we couldn't possibly. Absolutely not. That would be <clears> very <throat> wrong, particularly <clears throat> if you wanted to donate through answermethisstore.com. <laughs> um, but one of the reasons, listeners, why I'm glad not to be killing the show is that I love to hear from you and um i have enjoyed hearing you telling us how ollie fucked up in answer me this 344 by saying the most expensive item in argos oh, hold on. was well a, a telly that cost like 40 pence okay <laughs> i said it was a telly that cost four grand and actually i'm not no i didn't fuck up because i said on the show these are the three categories of things that I assume are the most expensive products at Argos. Assumption fucked it up. If you know otherwise, please get in touch and let Assumption us know. Assumption makes an ass of you. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was very clear. I showed my workings and I said, let well, me know if I'm wrong. You've shown up this show's workings as being a load of shit. <laughs> Nick has written in to say, yeah. I heard you talking about the most expensive products in the Argos catalogue. Yeah. And... As someone who works for Argos, oh wow, okay. I thought I'd share a few products you may have missed. Okay, and by no. may have missed, he's politely saying you missed. You missed. I was open about missed. it. <laughs> Checked four Go categories. On, what are they? What are they? I want to hear. Nick says, uh, the TV that you guessed is currently our 32nd most expensive product. Wow. How? Not even top 10, Ollie. Well, you so. really pissed your pants. Well, let's see just how far off I was price-wise. Okay, yes. yeah, fair enough. There was one category you totally missed, which is permanent outdoor structures. Can you buy a branch of Argos in the Argos category? <laughs> <laughs> you can buy a retail park. Okay. So in reverse order, yeah. Nick says, the three categories you missed with the most expensive items were yes number three now you've got to do it in the chart style obviously it's a new entry at three women never get to do chart countdowns in at three conservatories a dwarf wall conservatory i don't know what that is i don't know what that is either for four thousand nine hundred and ninety nine pounds okay well actually price wise that is close to what i said for the telly isn't it product 686-0691 okay well you can tell he works for argos because he's put the product catalog number in just in case in at number two number two it's the highest riser product 713-8281 yeah log cabins log cabins yeah. Very smart looking one for £5,699. Well, I know what to get someone for Christmas. I do love log cabins. You... And Martin and I do need somewhere to live. At number one, yeah. product 539-6142. Yes, but how much? Thirty-two grand. Wow. Okay. Because the other two were close to my four grand telly. Thirty-two grand. Yeah. Hot spas. A 20-foot long swim tub. I once met someone who chipped their tooth trying to go down on someone in a hot tub. Oh. Romance was killed. This is a fun family game, though, I think, potentially over Christmas. Well, the Argos Price is Right game. Yeah, yes, people right, could play this yeah, at yeah. home, couldn't yeah. they? All you need is an Argos catalogue and your imagination. It's the new Call My Bluff style game where you just uh, choose a word in the dictionary and people have to write plausible definitions. Yeah, and also, actually, we've only, of course, played half the game, really. If you think it through, the other half of the game is to work out what's the cheapest thing in the Argos catalogue. Wow. Which, of course, is a a more competitive field yeah i mean mm. then you might get like little plastic replacement parts for a pound does that count i bet there's nothing cheaper and again you know you seem to think that i'm terrible at this but i bet that there is nothing cheaper in the argos catalogue than one pound 29 i don't think you're terrible at the speculation i think you just slacked off on the research i was open about it didn't even look at outdoor structures we were on a break <laughs> <laughs> hey helen and ollie my name is Aisty, spelled A-I-S-T-E, in case anyone was wondering, and I recently adopted a young cat. He's great, but there's one problem. His name is Anus, or Anus. <laughs> my roommate loves the name, but having to yell out, come here, my little Anus, and asking my friends if uh, they want to see my new Anus is getting a bit ridiculous. So please, can you help me find an alternative name for my anus? The cat. Huh. Um, a cat called anus. Pretty much any name's going to be an improvement at this point, isn't it? <laughs> a cat called anus. It's the heartwarming uh, children's film of the season. I mean, your cat Coco, her name means shit in some languages. It does. Coco actually is not her original quote-unquote name. What? Um, so Coco is a rescue cat. Her original name was Winifred. We, we didn't adopt her uh my wife and i's mutual friend uh jay he adopted her mm -hmm. and he couldn't say the word winifred <laughs> so ah. he changed it to one he could say that's really interesting that's a good reason <laughs> he couldn't remember it 
Um, so he changed it. It was Wilbur and Winifred, and he changed them to Coco and Tiger. Um, and Tiger is no longer with us. Tiger, unfortunately, went to play on the M40 within about six weeks <gasps> of Tiger, adoption. Yeah. your sense of adventure did for you. Yeah. Did you want to see the Hoover building? So I'm actually quite um, ambivalent about changing cats' names. I don't think you have to stick with the one you've inherited. Do you know whether there was a problem with Coco acknowledging her name when they changed it or was she just never ever going to acknowledge whatever you said because she seems to be quite indifferent to most things in my experience most cats are indifferent to most things and they basically respond to tone when it comes to their owners and you as the person who's feeding them become the most important human they interact with yeah and basically so long as you've got food in your hand and you say something with this tone yeah then they will <laughs> respond to it so i don't think it really matters how is a cat called anus and why does your housemate love the name well we don't know where you're calling from Aste, but i assume that if your name is typical from where you're from then maybe anus doesn't mean what it means in english but then why guess. would you worry that you're calling your cat anus in other people's earshot well, unless I maybe a housemate's english yeah or they you know Pussy. are aware of its double meaning and then it becomes very difficult it basically becomes mrs slocum's pussy doesn't it you know if, <laughs> if you're conscious all the time of the fact that you're always looking for your anus have you seen my anus what colours your anus and so on. It just gets a bit tiresome. My wife wants to rescue another cat right now. Oh, really? Yeah. I've put my foot down about it, actually. Which Why? Is... I would have thought you'd Ooh. love to be surrounded by as many cats as possible. Well, that's the thing. I, I think I want a cat, but I've got to think about what Coco wants. And if Coco had a voice in the matter, she would definitely say, okay. no off. more cats, this Back is my off. territory. Cat. Is that what she sounds like? It just went straight through me, Martin. It was like you're a psychic and you're channeling her. Well, I'm like having my own space tell me what else you like coco there's so many things i wanted to ask you independent cat they will try and eat the birds that they like would you prefer to be locked in the kitchen (laughs) when we're away or the hall um in the kitchen right i can can break into the fridge and drink your beers okay i always suspected something like that sure if i ever murder martin it's almost certainly because he's been busting out some character comedy (laughs) either that or he's picking his nose in public and I've started doing that more and more. That's my favourite thing, actually. What, character comedy? No, no picking my nose in public. Eating uh. Jekyll's cake or picking my nose. <laughs> Is that you have to have an Eccles cake in one hand? No, you? no, no, not at the same time. Oh, I, I see mean, those are my favourite. These are a few of my favourite things. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, if you had a cat called Anus, yes. and uh, you decided to mitigate that name, would you just call it Janus or something like that? Or would you just go completely... Mm. Oh, what, like Samantha? Yeah, like Samantha Janus or Janus. You could actually call it Samantha after Samantha Janus. That would be a nod to Mm. the original name. Yes, and to a superb Eurovision Song Contest entry. I uh, interviewed her on BBC Local Radio the other week. Did you? What did you chat about? She's uh, in Dick Whittington in Milton Keynes. Lovely. And I just made some very lame puns. Like I said, things like, I mean, really lame. Like I said, so if you want to go and see Samantha's dick, it's on at so-and-so. Like Uh stuff you do as a local radio DJ. Yeah. Pissed herself. She couldn't Did believe she? it. She loved it. She was like, oh, this is the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. I was like, no, no way. You were around in Britpop. She's got a panto script and it doesn't have any dick jokes. Exactly, yeah. What about uh, Elvis Costello? Because his birth name is Declan McManus. Right. So you call the cat Elvis. Elvis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a nice name the for cat, cat. The cat wouldn't know the connection. No. But you would. You'd, you yeah. might feel it. Well, I suppose you could wean it off by calling it Elvis Costello, formerly known as... Declan McManus. Declan McManus. And then just start dropping some syllables off it. Yeah. And then eventually the cat will accept the word Elvis. Yeah, I think we solved that. If you've got a question, email your question. To answer me at this podcast, gmail.com. Answer me this podcast, Here's a question from Ollie from Toronto who says, I've recently moved from London, England, not Ontario, to Toronto, Ontario, not County Durham. Okay. For a change of pace. It would be a change of pace going to Toronto. Yes. Beautiful place, I'm sure. Yes. World's largest underground shopping complex. Well, I guess they'd need it with their cold winters. Ollie says, not long after arriving, I was able to get myself a great job in the field I'd been working in before and thus far... I am loving the new city, job and lifestyle. Yay! Good result, Ollie. Four million square feet of underground retail space. (laughs) However, I've got myself into a rather difficult position. Mm -hmm. 
I've been looking for some evening activities to make new friends. And I've suddenly realised there's nothing to do in Canada. Why oh. did I leave London? Oh, boo. <laughs> Should boo. have thought about this, Ollie. Ollie says, I recently auditioned for what I thought was a community theatre production and mm. got a role I've always dreamed of playing in a show I've always wanted to be in. Okay, not seeing a problem here so far. On being offered the part, I discovered that I had unknowingly got a part in a professional show, well, not a community theatre or amateur dramatics production as I'd previously thought. What? Bit of a humble brag here. How is that possible? I How know. do you audition for something without knowing it's a professional show? Oh no, I didn't bring headshots with me. How funny. Are you just doing this to make this amateur thing seem like it's real? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when are rehearsals then? Oh, every day. Yeah, that's fine. Surely you must have had <laughs> yeah. that conversation or realisation. Surely you must have realised you're the only one without an agent. Nope. Ollie says, as someone who loves acting and always dreamed of doing it professionally, this should of course be the best news possible. But my problem is, it's full time for a month, which naturally conflicts with the nine to five job I've now started. And he said uh, he was loving. Mm. So, Ollie, please answer me this. Is there any universe in which I can convince someone I've only worked for since August to give me a full month off in order to pursue my dream to perform the role of a lifetime in a professional stage production? Or is the only way I can conceivably get to do this is to quit my job, which seems like an extreme thing to do for a four-week acting job, and job hunt again once the show is over? The only thing I have going for me is that my employment is also in the theatre industry, so my bosses should at least understand what an opportunity this would be. <laughs> I love the idea that everyone who works in theatre comes in in the morning dancing and, God, I hope I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. Ollie, Ollie has, uh, he's, he's done the dream. Actually, I, I did used to work at Ticketmaster in the call centre and everyone there wanted to be an actor, really. They would have all just left immediately at the sniff of a job, even the people who were the managers. But also, ever since say daisy donovan got discovered for the 11 o'clock show because she was Temporary working reference for the kids listening there, <laughs> <Yeah>. Helen. because <laughs> she, she was working in tv production yeah. i think she was a researcher or something mm. probably a lot of people in tv offices since then have thought i could get discovered newer reference actually uh steph mcgovern and nikki fox the new presenters of watchdog similarly were bbc researchers before they got poached as presenters absolutely beats me ollie don't know who they are no it's not for you in Who's the same way that the 11 o'clock show is not for anyone under 40 <laughs> listening to this now. Um, uh, who's, who's Watchdog for is a great question and, and a consumer question of the type they wouldn't actually tackle on the show. I, I guess it's for women in their 50s and 60s predominantly. Anyway, I can't believe this has even happened to you, Ollie. This is the kind of thing that happens in celebrity memoirs. I read Barry Norman's and Barry Norman, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially said... I got offered the job of presenting the film programme one day whilst taking a slash at TV Centre. That's basically what it says. And I turned to the Director General, who was wiping his ass, and I said, there really should be a programme reviewing films. And he said, aha, Barry, you should present it. Here's 10 years contract. And you think, okay, maybe that is how things used to work, but that doesn't happen now. And you've just, you've just stepped into this situation that is just like... It's like one of those, oh, you know, my friend was going to be in All Saints, but I went to the audition kind of stories, isn't it? Mm. You, you can't ignore this. Mm. stroke of fortune yes you'd always be wondering but also as you have said that your work is in theatre you could ask them well it sounds like you made up your mind that you're going to do the job you are can you use all of your paid holiday or could you be like oh I broke my ankle (laughs) (laughs) so so yeah obviously he should approach them because he's made up his mind that he's going to leave if they say no so you might as well ask so you're thinking go for the honest methods don't tell a lie that can get him out of work for a month Oh, yeah, yeah. No, don't lie. Because Toronto isn't that big a place. I mean, I don't know how many professional theatre productions are on there every night, but let's say it's 10. They, they, if they work in theatre, they might work that out. That is a good point. I suppose you could play it like, I've only been working for you for a, a short while. Could you pretend I hadn't started until a month hence mm. and give me the time to do this job? But then what if this is just the start and Ollie gets part after part? And then he develops an incredible career, like Gypsy. Yay, the toast of Canadian stage. <laughs> yeah, but then it will have been a punt worth taking, wouldn't it? I think you can't turn away from this because you'll always be wondering what if. I'm the fact always- that you stumbled into this is extraordinary. I'm wondering what the role is. Since you mentioned Gypsy, maybe it is that. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I've never seen Gypsy in drag before, but why not? Why not? Yeah. Uh, what would for you be the thing that would make you you don't really have a day job but would make you say <laughs> yeah what would be incompatible with my flexible hours <laughs> but what would be the thing that would make you say well, i'm gonna jack that in i'm gonna go and do that what's the thing you've always wanted to do that's completely different to your day-to-day yeah. job 
I would love to be in a big razzmatazz Broadway or West End production, but given my acting and singing and dancing skills, just very unlikely to happen. But why not put that out there? Yeah. Why not <laughs> Noel Edmonds this? <laughs> um, um, yeah. and, and that would be very time consuming, as Ollie has proven. Yeah. Or being in a sitcom like the American office where you were stuck being on set all the time because uh, if you were working in office with each other, you'd be visible in background shots. So they were faffing around on computers. It was long days every day for nine months of the year. But I would do it to be in the American office. Okay, something I would like to do, mm-hmm. which is, I couldn't believe this has actually happened. If, if there's any way, just for one night, I can be involved in Bat Out of Hell the musical, <laughs> please get in touch with me, Manchester Opera House. It's really happening, it's, isn't it? I, haven't I been saying for years? Every time someone's asked us something about musicals and been like, what's the show that really should happen? I've got two answers. <laughs> one is Jukebox Musical with the Songs of Pulp. The other is... Yeah. I usually don't, I don't actually say Bat Out of Hell the Musical. I usually say a Jim Steinman musical using his back catalogue. Uh-huh. Not a shit one with Andrew Lloyd Webber, but one where you actually using use his, his rock songs. Using his bat catalogue. His bat catalogue. <laughs> oh, he doesn't say much, but when he does... Oh, Martin. <laughs> Andy was eating an Eccles cake at the time. His mouth was doing double duty. I'm a multitasker. But this musical is finally go. Yes, but... Uh, yeah, okay, so my dream Jim Steinman musical, and I don't know, I don't know what the song list is, people. I've just seen it advertised. But my dream Jim Steinman musical would be the hits from bat out of hell well actually hits out of hell the album hits out of hell i'd have that plus total eclipse of the heart right that's mm. what I so the, the best good. of bat out of hell one and two plus total eclipse of the heart i think would be an amazing musical but it looks like by calling it bat out of hell i assume it is actually just the concept album bat out of hell the first one which means they haven't got room for i do anything for love or life is a lemon and i want my money back which i would have put in there and i would have put in total eclipse of the heart but anyway the problem is always going to be the book because, you know, mm-hmm. you've got so many ingredients for a great night out at a rock opera there. Yeah. You know, you've got people with big tits on chandeliers flying through the sky, motorbikes on fire, things crashing all around you, big male choirs going, ha, ha, it would be amazing. But what actually is that story? Because it's completely incomprehensible, basically. There's a lot of story in each song. How are you going to exactly. splice those together? Exactly. Does Battle of the Air of Hell have a coherent narrative at all? Um, there's some stuff about sort of lost boys and golden girls and people riding Harleys and people crashing and dying, but basically, so no. it's all just a big teenage wank fantasy, isn't it? <laughs> uh, if you're listening, Manchester Opera House, who are staging Bat Up Hell the Musical, I'm so excited to be involved in any way I can. Is it going to only be on in Manchester Opera House, or is it going to come to London? It's coming to the ENO. Whoa! But it premieres, premieres at Manchester. It's the role of a lifetime for you. <laughs> You can play all the roles. Yeah, apart from the fact that I'm not American, I can't sing, and if I got on a motorbike, I'd dislocate my shoulder instantly. Minor obstacles, think yes. big. Yeah. So if it's at the opera house, yeah. is it going to be performed as an opera in a more kind of classical style? Well, it's it, so uh, the ENO has been doing these things over the summers recently to try and raise money because not enough people go to the opera. Right. So what they do is they the, the orchestra from the English National Opera right. play contemporary music over the summer and charge £200 a ticket for it. Dumb it down, guys. Dumb it down. Um, no, it was really good. I went. So they did Sunset Boulevard with uh, Glenn Close this summer and it was oh, amazing. Okay. Okay. Um, and this is their effort for next summer. Are you going on your own? Or? I haven't decided yet, Martin. What, do you want to come? You don't strike me as a Meatloaf fan, really. Uh, I like his film work, actually. I really like him in, fi- uh, in Fight Club. Not really relevant to it's, this it's musical. not really. No. He's a good singer, but I, I find the, his work a bit broad. A bit broad? It's grand sweeping statements. There's little room for personalisation or nuance in my book. Oh, I. Uh, this is a separate show where we go by <laughs> go through each of Jim Steinman's songs one by one. Jim Steinman, song by song, um, right should, after the Tom Waits series. You should do that. But um, <laughs> I think there is quite a lot of lyrical flourish and subtlety. I just think the musical production is so overwhelming that mm-hmm. you sort of you lose the detail. Well, that's the, a problem in itself. In the. Well, it's not a problem, Martin. It's a style. It's a stylistic choice. What if if the music's fighting the lyrics, Ollie? That's a problem. <sighs> well, we're doing the podcast already. Anyway, <laughs> um, I'd love to do that. But I won't do that because <laughs> I will never get asked to do that. Oh, come on. Keep oh. hope alive. No, come on. I'm being honest. Oh. It's fine. I know my limitations. Well, just as Ollie seems to be taking a hiatus from his new job, we're going to take a <laughs> short break now from this episode for today's intermission. Yes. And as it's December... Holidays are coming, holidays are coming. Always uh, Coca-Cola. No, Helen, always the Answer Me This Christmas album. Always. Uh, in which you can find out why Rudolph got a red nose, why we kiss under the mistletoe, and what the highest rated Christmas TV show was of all time. Wow. Uh, plus you'll hear me bitch about Shane McGowan. So much festive magic. And, um, <laughs> and that album, along with our other special albums and our first 200 episodes, are all available 
at answermethisstore.com. Correct. And Answer Me This Christmas was all new for 2013, but it's still all new for you if you've never heard it before. Christmas is uh, one of the times of year where I'm happy to have a bit of repetition. Indeed, yeah. It's somehow reassuring and familiar, isn't it, to hear something you've heard before. And if you've never heard it before, then it's new to you. It's never been free on the podcast feed, never will be. And here's a tiny little taste of it. Uh, Well, here's another question of Christmas from the USA. Uh, It's from Trevor in Tucson, uh, who says, My girlfriend and I just exchanged Christmas presents, and for Christmas, she's taking me to Disneyland. Quite good. Uh, I got her a duffel bag. Amazing. Crash and burn. Awkward. Uh, So Helen, answer me this. What can I do to make up for the fact that I've got her such a shit present? Um, Trevor's girlfriend might really like duffel. Like maybe might. he's underestimate just because she brought out Disneyland Trevor that doesn't mean that you didn't correctly judge absolutely accurately yeah. she bloody loves duffel and also maybe it's an $800 duffel bag yes in which case absolutely that is fine maybe it's an army surplus duffel bag it's obviously yeah it's a cheap one isn't it the, the problem with this issue that Trevor has on earth though is that she'll think Trevor loves me less than I love Trevor mm. And that is the real heart of the issue, isn't it? Mm, yeah, and there isn't much you can do about that, actually, is there? No. Even if part two was a house. Yeah. It would be bought out of shame. Shame house. <laughs> Here's a question from Chris, who says, I'm an American living in London. He's like the inverse sting. I'll be without my passport and identity card for an indeterminate period as I'm sending them to the Home Office to process my application for indefinite leave to remain in the UK. Oh, good luck. Yeah, Brexit doesn't seem so bad now, does it, Chris? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) My partner and I typically travel abroad for Christmas. As we can't plan for that this year, we'd like to visit somewhere in the UK that won't require me to show my passport or residence card. So, Helen, answer me this. Would the Channel Islands fit the bill? It seems that some ferry operators do require a passport to be shown, so should we just stick to somewhere on this landmass that's accessible by road to avoid any potential passport-related snafus? Suggestions on where to go would be welcome. There are some uh, wonderful and beautiful places to go in the British Isles. It depends, I think, whether you want city or rural and how tolerant you might be to... Extreme cold and grimness? Yes. Mm. <laughs> yes and, and there are some beautiful places in the British Isles. We've been to many of them. We have. I'm not sure December shows them at their strengths. You, you have some places that have clement microclimates, like um, Cornwall or Bournemouth. Or the Scilly Isles, I've heard, have white sand beaches and look quite tropical, but you, maybe you do need a passport to get to the Scilly Isles, even though they're in Britain. Yeah, so they'll just be kind of cold as opposed to extremely cold. Isle of Wight ferry probably doesn't require a passport. It's only a few minutes, Isle and that's meant to be lovely Christmas. like the 50s. Uh, really? Yeah. Lovely like the 50s yeah. or completely unsophisticated like the 50s? They've still got uh, the tail end of rationing there. I just <laughs> there's something grim sounding about Isle of Wight at Christmas, but I'm j- I've never been to the Isle of Wight, so I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of towns that I would find festive at Christmas, and I imagine somewhere like Bath or Oxford or York. Edinburgh. Yeah, York. Yeah, actually, Edinburgh is a great suggestion because... Mm. Um, uh, Hogmanay and all that. Yes, so there's, whiskey. There's the street-based festivities yeah. and the old buildings. Yes. And if you're an American, okay, you're living in London, so you've seen your fair share of old buildings. But, but there's there a fucking great castle there. Some great old buildings in Edinburgh. Yeah. That is a good suggestion. Yeah, and yeah, it's so beautiful and you can have some very heartwarming food and it's cold and inhospitable for quite a lot of the year anyway. Yeah. What's the difference? What's the difference, yeah. In fact, a Scottish road trip if you don't mind it. I think Scotland would be great. I'd, I've never yeah. been there in winter. But... I'm not sure because you can't really go to the Highlands because it's all icy and locked off, isn't it? There Unless is you that... like ice, obviously. You don't have to go that far north. You could be in Sky or Mull or somewhere. Martin quite... and I went to Mull uh, last summer and um, I really... We went to quite a lot of places. We had a Scottish road trip, but Mull, I thought, was really charming. And we also had some amazing meals there. Yeah, so go again, to Mull. In December. You in car- December, Helen. You definitely didn't need a passport to get the car ferry to Mull. Ollie, if you're in the British Isles, you're not going to be lounging on the beach. You, you could g- be catatonic on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you have these beautiful bits of coast, like the northeast up around Lindisfarne. There's some really lovely places up there, but... Um, I think city break is how to do it. Okay. Because I think although there are beautiful rural places in the UK, like the Highlands, like the Lake District, like Cornwall, 
if it's really biting wind yeah and you're stuck to inside uh-huh. go to a place where there are things to do inside okay that would be my advice well, well it depends if what you want to do is just read and drink mulled wine you know yeah yeah but yeah but city break you can go to a museum then read and drink and yeah, yeah. all right so you True. could stay somewhere in the country just outside of oxford i think bath so, was a good suggestion i went to their christmas market last okay. year quite okay. good go to the cotswolds day trip to bath day trip to oxford day trip to blenheim Very good. and you're staying somewhere rural which yes. has lots of log fires in pubs good yes yes sort of cottagey mm. cheltenham type vibe yeah probably a local panto very good yeah that's yes. all right all right yeah fine hi helen and ollie and martin salman this is toria and andrew uh, uh we are six hours and 58 minutes into a road trip from surrey to northern Glasgow with my parents and we just went past the angel of the north and we have a question we know that the statue of liberty was not always free was the Angel of the North always rusty? Or when it was first put up, was it shiny or was it made out of rusty metal? Okay, so you're on a road trip past the Angel of the North. You want to know, was it always rusty? Yes. Surely it was always planned to be rusty. Yes, it was. Because it's made of a special kind of steel called Corten steel or weathering steel, if you're using the non-trademark name. Nice, okay. It would be very poor design, though, wouldn't it? If, if you know, for that amount of, of government money... Yeah, it was supposed uh, to be shiny forever, goddammit. They, yeah, they haven't planned happened? ahead. How a beautiful stainless yeah. steel yeah. sculpture. Yeah. No, it's this different kind of weathering steel. It contains a tiny bit of copper and some other minerals. And the idea is that a thin layer of rust forms pretty tightly bonded on the surface. And unlike normal rust, which flakes off and leaves the fresh metal vulnerable to more rusting, this stays on. And it's basically weatherproofing the metal mm. so that they don't have to paint it, they don't have to maintain it. Apparently it can go for like 120 years without you having to do any surface maintenance on it. Oh, take that, so Eiffel Tower. I think it meant that the the finish of it was quite predictable because it's fairly resistant to harsh weather. And there it's close to the coast, it's getting a lot of wind, it's in an exposed position. And um, others would start to look a bit crappy or defiled, like paint would start to chip off if it was normal paint. Whereas this, the colour changes very slightly, but they basically know what the statue's going to look like. And something of that size, they need to know. It's Britain's biggest sculpture, so they don't want to fuck that up, do they? No, no. But if you look at pictures of it being assembled in 1998, the pieces are red when it's going up, so right, it was yeah. meant to look the way that it looks. But presumably as well, it's, it's reflecting the uh, industrial heritage of the region. It's on the top of an old mine, yeah. I think. It only scores four stars on TripAdvisor, the Angel of the North. Yeah, but I think that's because it's not much of a destination visit. Yeah, like, people- there's no tourist centre, is there? There's no souvenir shop. You just drive past and you're like, oh, was that the Angel of the... Oh, yeah, that's the Angel of the North. What's wrong with that? That's great. You're like, well, it's, fuck, it's big. It, it's, it's fine, but it's not Madame Two Swords, is it? It's not a day out. It is... Um, <laughs> then you should be scoring your own expectation management rather than the sculpture itself. Well, I, I don't think it. there's a category for expectation management on TripAdvisor. Because the people are like, there's nothing to do here except look at the sculpture. No shit. <laughs> I, mean, I said the same about Yorkshire Sculpture Park. One star TripAdvisor. <laughs> it's just a park with sculptures in. I'm trying to build a website to bring tourists to Radlit But when I open it up on my smartphone or tablet Something goes wrong and it just looks a bit shit Unlike Hertfordshire itself Or well, try building that website using Squarespace On desktop and devices it will look simply ace As well designed as Hertfordshire with all that lovely green space County of Opportunity and Stevenage Thank you, Squarespace, for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This. And for making websites the world over, although obviously international boundaries are of uh, limited relevance when it comes to talking about the internet, look beautiful. And they've made them very easy to make as well. Oh, they have. Which is a real boon. There's not enough room in my brain to understand how to design a website, but luckily Squarespace took the baton on that. Can just do it, it's easy. Yeah, so easy, isn't it? You want to embed a SoundCloud file? No problem. You want to put an image from your computer? Go ahead jimmy boy you want all of your url redirects to be nice and not annoying consider it done i mean that's so boring i can't even describe it without falling asleep mid-sentence saying that words is boring but the (laughs) the action of doing it is satisfying satisfying yeah you've created a website and you have assistance in creating and maintaining it because there is 24 7 support there certainly is yeah they write polite emails back do they helpful (laughs) they don't go 
fuck off, arsehole. Sort it out yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Read this fucking manual. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the Squarespace style. No. Anyway, uh, uh, go to squarespace.com and uh, try out the two-week free trial. Yeah, that's the point. You get to play with it for 14 days before yes. you have to give any money. But then if you think, I'm into this. Yes, this is I'm for me. I'm going to commit. I'm this is buy helping my... me and my business. I'm going to buy it Making for myself the world for a better. year. Yeah. And, and you... I want a free URL thrown in. Yes, I do. Yeah. Anyway, you uh, sign up for a year. You can get 10% off using the code answer here's a question from david from wigan who says as the most popular and easily recognized chemist in the uk Ollie, answer me this oh that's so kind of you to say i've hardly even studied pharmaceuticals (laughs) so many deaths to your name the most recognized chemist ollie answer me this yeah why is boots the chemist so named who or what or are boots it actually isn't called boots the chemist anymore just to pick you up on a technicality Mm -hmm. it is now called boots uk I mean, the stores boots are still called UK. Boots, but the company is now called Boots UK. When did this seismic shift occur? Uh, I think towards the end of the last decade when right. they were bought by a private company based in Switzerland and then they were sold to Walgreens. They were sold to Walgreens? Yeah, they're owned by Walgreens now. Wow, and they haven't been rebranded? They haven't because Boots has been going for so long. In fact, they've got the same logo that they've had ever since 1883. That's a good wow. bit of, of uh, Victorian graphic design then. It is. It's pretty beautiful, isn't it? There must have been a few decades where it looked a bit dated. Maybe the 70s, they were like, let's get some sort of chunky sans serif thing um it is called boots because it was named after its founder john boot could have predicted that the founder was named boot workmanlike name that isn't it john boot i love the surname boot he was from nottinghamshire you generally like surnames that are nouns don't you i envy them yeah i'm jealous it's a pleasure that i'll never know there was a point when i was on lbc and you pointed out that most of the other presenters on lbc also had names that are nouns whale ferrari Yeah, exactly. There were quite a few. Bull. Dale. Is Dale a noun? What? Yeah, like, like Hill, Hill, Hill and Dale. Dale. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, John Boot was from Nottinghamshire. Uh, he set up a herbalist with his wife, Mary. Uh-huh. Um, and so M and J Boot herbalists were... They weren't kind of like tree huggers and stuff. It's just that then the idea of um, actual pharmaceutical drugs, you know, that could properly sort you out and knock you out, being affordable mm. was something that was just inconceivable. You know, the, the king had his own medic or whatever, and rich people could pay for their own physicians. And also, most drugs were made of herbs until yes, exactly. Well, sure. recently. I mean, and actually, like, even the ones now that are developed in a lab are kind of derived from herbal elements very often, aren't they? Or, like, take their ideas from, yeah. you know, the, what makes up yeah. various different it's not so rustic. naturally occurring things. Sure. There is a herb garden in the HQ of Boots, which sort of pays tribute to their history as herbalists, or as Americans would say, herbalists. But um, they are now an American company, effectively. They're owned by Walgreens. So they may have the same logo, but they're actually a very, very different company. Uh, It took generations of the family, because they weren't a rich family. They just had their own little herbal shop in Nottinghamshire. It took generations of the family to turn it into anything resembling what we know now. And actually, it was when the son, Jesse Boots, inherited the shop. Uh, It was literally a shop. And between 1883 and 1920, he turned it into a chain of 660, employing more than 14,000 people. And at that time, that was a pretty rare achievement. Yeah, totally. And he he was very much of that generation, like, you know, Cadbury and whatever, where they wanted to build the workers as part of the company. Mm-hmm. So if you were a chemist for boots, you were uh, given all kinds of perks that were unheard of to the working class before then. So you benefited, but you were also giving boots your whole life. Yeah, and sort of helping the community by developing drugs. I mean, they actually um, invented Nurofen boots. Wow. Yeah, which I didn't realise. Two things I didn't realise. I didn't realise, A, that Nurofen, the brand, came about at the same time as ibuprofen. I assumed that Nurofen, the brand, was just a brand for ibuprofen that came along after ibuprofen. And I wouldn't think Nurofen, the brand, was a British brand either. No. But actually, yeah, both things are true. Boots developed ibuprofen and created the brand Nurofen, which they then sold some decades later. It would normally be the other way around, in that you get a patent on a drug, you'd market it under a brand name. Yeah. And then as time went on, the patent expires, and then it it sold as a generic version. So it would be, I would have thought it more likely that Nurofen came first. And then when ibuprofen became, fell out of patent, ibuprofen, you know, you can get it for 50p as opposed to mm. three quid or whatever. Okay. Hello, it's Louise in Yorkshire. Um, answer me this. Is the root of the word platonic anything to do with Plato? And if so, why? Was he a very friendly guy? Imagine if it was nothing to do with Plato. It's to do with plates, because plates are very smooth it's, and perfect yeah. looking. It's, it's plate tectonics, it's a portmanteau. <laughs> like, of course because it's because love Plato. is seismic, right? Even if it's a non-sexual, yeah? But I've, I've not thought why it is to do with Plato, because he's a philosopher, right? Yeah. 
Did he philosophize he about a- the friendship between men and women that was non-sexual? Well, he philosophized about love in many forms. Yeah, and he, a was lot- ideal- he was an idealist, really, wasn't he? He thought things had a perfect form beyond the physical manifestations that we see. Uh, in Plato's Symposium, there are treatises on different forms of love um, or sex. A lot of that is between men or men and boys. And some of it is about love that is so great it transcends human love. So you move from being in love with one person and their beauty to being in love really with like an ideal concept that is so much greater than beauty or humanity. So it's more like, you know, a love of the divine and all these transcendental wow. things. The populist writers back then really did tackle the big issues, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, like now, where it's just like, I'm going to write about a scarf. So I think the interpretation now of platonic love is that it's like kind of tepid, mm. whereas actually it was like so powerful. It Profound. was even Yeah, exactly. It was Beyond even greater. Sex. Yeah. yeah. It, so yeah. it might have included sex, in fact. Well, in the Middle Ages, there was a resurgence in interest in Plato, and there was a new translation of a Symposium by the uh, Italian Marsilio Ficino. He concentrated on this idealised form of love that was sexless. So mm. he removed the sex from it. I think it was because homosexuality was so much more taboo then than it was in ancient Greece mm. that... Uh, I don't know whether he either couldn't handle it or refused to. I mean, it's never been less taboo than it was in ancient Greece, to be fair. They used to put it on plates. <laughs> I mean, um, still, you can't get one in John Lewis like that. That's what they call it, platonic. And so that really brought in the idea that it was a sexless love mm. rather than one where it was, like, far beyond sexual feelings. Okay. But yeah. the point being, it's not about his personal character. It's about the shit he wrote. Yeah, but that was probably reflective of his character. He's known for someone who wrote about love, but he also wrote about other things. But it, I suppose what I mean is, you know, so is Shakespeare, but you wouldn't yeah. reduce Shakespeare down to one idea because yes. everyone acknowledges that he was a very clever man who lo- wrote lots of things. I wonder if Plato would be a bit pissed that, like, when most people mention his name now, it's in the context of Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams. Like, it's reducing what he wrote a bit. I feel like it's so influential that he could put, he can he can take he it. Can you know, yeah. uh, he's like the, the most important philosophy in Western history. So. Here's a question from Helen in Stockholm who says, Helen, answer me this. What is the point of a divan bed? Is this a kind of existential question? I just don't see what they're achieving. Bedness. Yeah, exactly. The, the thing you can sleep on. If we're talking ontologically about divans. The platonic ideal of being a bed. <laughs> <laughs> I see her point, though. She says, there's a normal bed with space underneath, which allows you to store things. Yeah. But this is not possible with a divan. Except mm. for the kind with drawers. Why would you pick a divan? It seems like wasted space. I'm so confused. Yeah, mm. well, well, I emotionally, I agree with you, Helen. But I also I'm... don't like that pattern that you get on a very cheap divan. Oh you know, that God, kind of um, tartan bag pattern. Yeah, or very pallid, floral thing. Yeah, really pastely. Yeah. And, and also, I've only had bad experiences with divans in uh, rental accommodation. Well, yeah, they're the classic, where the, well, drawers the cheapest are... ones you can get, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. They are cheap. That's why a lot of people have them. Uh, some people like the look. They like the fact that their bed is just a block doesn't have other features they can add a headboard if they want but it doesn't protrude further than the mattress because the mattress sits on top right that is that decoratively it's bland and therefore fits in with everything um i suppose it provides a flat stable surface so i think maybe they withstand wear and tear more because they provide Mm. a more even surface for the mattress uh that can be of multiple different heights because they can make divans different heights whereas if you made a bed with long spindly legs it'd be wobbly Mm. Uh, so I think that's something to do with it. I'm now just wondering, as you're talking, forgive me for thinking about this, whether there are sexual positions that are more easily achieved on a divan bed than other beds. You do the research and get back to us. I just wonder, because you can get more grip, can't you, with your feet or bending over it? Don't know. I'm just, I, I suspect or there brace are. your knees against the flat surface of the divan. Yeah, or like hold on to the bottom of the bed whilst you're with in the it toes. at any point. Yeah. Or, or your hands. Yeah. Take, if you like a, a bed-like surface, but without the comfort, you could take your mattress off. <laughs> just have the divan. I think some people as well, they don't want, space under their bed gathering dust mm. and maybe for some people as well having drawers in the divan which is an option for storage without the dust they might not be able to stoop that well or bend and therefore they think fuck the drawers just get the divan but i think they're shit too so i'm sure some people will write in with a spirited defense of divans but we're all taking the risk and going fuck them they're dead to us absolutely i had to put divan bed break on me when i was a student after been jumping up and down for 10 minutes yeah one would think maybe you're not supposed to do that well, that's what beds are for, isn't it? Jumping up and down uh, and as, as an adult. Well, as an adult, you're allowed to do it. Do you remember what you were excited about? I was excited by the fact I could jump up and down in a bed and no one would stop me. <laughs> well, they are. Physics stopped you in the end. How ironic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like with so many things. 
Uh, by the way, listeners, we're not doing an Answer Me This best of compilation episode for this year because it's been quite a short year. Um, well, there have been 12 months in it. Yes. It's been short in the Answer Me This calendar. That's right, which is the one that counts. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah. It's so, going to replace the Christian calendar one day. feel like it's our time. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of my favourite things to uh, cut together every year is the montage of melancholy calls to the Answer Me This question line that's usually in the best ofs, but I thought I'd chuck one in here. Hi, Helen and Ollie. This is Alex from Sheffield. I've been sort of dr- bullied into doing a drunken message because I'm told that that's the kind of message that you like. Hi, guys. I've just got one question for you. Why is Vince McMahon such a bastard? I hate him! Answer me this. When you order frog less, you both spark bugger. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do that last one again because I completely fucked it up originally. Uh, so, yeah. Hello, my name's Adam, and I work for the London Ambulance Service, which... Hello, my name's Adam, and I work for the London Ambulance Service... I'm going to try that again. Hi, Helen and Ollie, it's Joe from Watford. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Uh, How were the emergency sump services... I'm lucky. Hi, my name's Adam, and I work for the Ambulance Service, which... Mm, fucking hell! Right. <clears throat> I feel a bit of a ballon, don't I? Hello, my name's Michael Beer. Um, I've been told to bring down my daughter because uh, when I eat chilies, they have a peculiar effect on me. I've got one here that I've grown. I'm going to bite into it. <laughs> Hello, Helen Ollie. This is uh, Heston from Nottingham. Uh, my wife and I are just post coitus. It's ten past ten on a on a, on a Wednesday evening. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Um, can you please <coughs> explain why uh, why this happens? With <coughs> why, why this happens, happens to me when I uh, as a certain threshold with cheese, but if they're hotter than that, then. Uh, Answer me this, answer me this. Where is the worst, where's the furthest position? Where's the furthest place? Oh, fuck off. Answer me this, answer me this. I will answer me this. Okay, bye. Bye. Here's a question from Michael in Sussex who says... This week at a cocktail bar, I had a cocktail that contained a mummified lemon rind and pine embalming cordial. Was that a cocktail or was that the cleaning product? <laughs> pine embalming cordial. I think, well, he's written this in a playful way that does slightly confuse us as to what he actually drank, doesn't Oh, do you think he's just trying to exaggerate the strength of the cordial? Or do you think it is one that's used in the process of pine embalming? Maybe that's how they describe it. I think there might be a pine-infused element... Ah, pine-infused cordial. Mm. That's what he means. Yeah. It's a weird drink, and that's his point. Yes. He says, Helen, answer me this. What's the weirdest thing you've ever drunk? Mm. You've got to have swallowed. (laughs) I think this would be a more interesting question if I drank more than the following drinks. Tea, cold tea, fizzy water, Mm. and water. But um, back when I used to drink some booze, a couple of booze drinks that come to mind, both of which involve my friend Amy. Uh, the first one was we were at hers at Christmas. Oh God! And she had some Bailey's or Bailey's like knockoff. Yeah, Iceland ripoff of Bailey's. Do not mix. I think probably on brand Bailey's or off brand Bailey's with orange flavored gin. Ooh. Because I thought orange orange flavoring and Bailey's that would be quite nice. Quite sort Christmassy. Sort of like a chocolate orange. It curdles. So, right. so you've got <laughs> it, was, thing. it was basically like a lump of plasticine in a martini. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it looks like chewed chewing gum in a thin way. But did you drink it? I tried, but you can't really drink something that is curdled into a near solid. I think okay. it blocked the drains. And the other thing that I think this was worse for Amy than for us. Oh, um, good times. Martin fed her a drink called the Orange Mary, which is like a Bloody Mary with orange juice instead of tomato juice but with garlic infused vodka and amy said it was like drinking a burp (laughs) (laughs) i've also drunk cheese juice from a failed fondue (laughs) oh which is actually similar texture to the baileys and gin concoction where the cheese formed this like big solid lump in the middle and then there was this thin slightly acidic liquid around it uh so my friend morgan and i uh, had a few swigs of that for my wedding you may recall listeners who have just joined us may not 
that we went to the Costa del Sol to get hitched. We mm-hmm. got married in Gibraltar, but before that we'd had a week holiday with 10 of our best friends. And the night before, the night before the wedding. Wedding um, Eve Eve. Wedding Eve Eve. So my best man thought we should do something for Ollie because I'd never had a stag do because obviously I didn't want one because the idea made me feel sick. You didn't want a wedding, but no. you went back on that <laughs> exactly. promise. So why not a stag do? So he was like, let's make Ollie his favourite drink and then we'll have everyone back to my room um, and we'll find a way to connect the baby monitors so we can listen to the babies in the room next door. Party! And, <laughs> uh, and uh, it was a really nice idea. So they went to the supermarket, they bought all the ingredients for a dirty martini. Of course that's your favourite drink, but you like it mainly to contain brine and none of the boozes. An ideal dirty martini, as I make it, is two shots of uh, vodka, one shot of vermouth, you can use gin, but I prefer vodka, load of olive brine like maybe two teaspoonfuls this is where um listeners and you have differed in the past i believe it's all about the brine shake it up over ice mm-hmm. then an olive squeeze of lemon yeah that's my dirty martini uh-huh. so he'd asked me earlier in the day kind of obliquely what are the ingredients of a dirty martini <laughs> i didn't realize what his plan was he was going to go and try and buy them so i'd said to him but i didn't mention the shaking over ice bit because you know it's not relevant if you're not going to try and make it so we go back to his room it's one o'clock in the morning. We're in a hotel room on the Costa del Sol. Yeah. It's hot. There is no ice in the room. There is no shaker. And he says, for your stag do, Ollie, we're all going to make dirty martini. And proceeds to produce from his pocket a mineral water bottle, uh-huh. uh, which had a little bit of water left in the bottom of it. <laughs> he then into that poured a bottle of vodka, half a bottle of vermouth. Oof. And then... <laughs> That's a lot of vermouth. And then... <laughs> and then and then some olives but the only olives he could find in the supermarket were the sort of local equivalent of tesco basic right so they were pitted black olives yes in anchovy juice <laughs> oh my god and just poured it into a that warm a filthy bottle martini. Of water. <laughs> it's a very fishy martini warm filthy martini i'm imagining it as well uh being a little bit cloudy with some <laughs> tiny bits in it like when you buy a bag full of daphnia for your fish exactly um and then served it in uh disney frozen plastic cups that, that you get for like a girl's birthday well, that is on brand that's on brand yes yeah. yeah um so no ice just shaken in a warm mineral water bottle oh, with fish juice um it sounds like crotch sweat doesn't and it? I just it's kind of smelt similar and i wasn't really drunk enough to pretend that i enjoyed it or to turn a blind eye mm. So and, and neither was anyone else there. So that was comfortably the worst thing I've ever drunk. But it was so close to being like my favourite thing. One of the thing. best, except for the anchovy, which is challenging. And then luckily one of the other people in the room, I don't know why no one had thought of this until this moment. Hotel ice machine? Yes, realised we were in a five-star hotel and you could call down for some ice. <laughs> That's what we did. What wow. Morning, you absolute bellend. And then it was fine, so we just got some ice. And it was okay. it was still like kind of horrible, but yeah, it was definitely You couldn't better. taste it because it was cold. Yeah, exactly. And here we are at the end of this episode and thus... The year's worth of Answer Me This Is. It's all over. No, but it's, not. it's not. In many ways, it's not. Love, shine a light, because we are coming <laughs> back with all new Answer Me This in 2017 on the first Thursday of every month. So yes, be there. Supply us questions via email, phone and Skype using the contact details that by now you should know are stored on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Remember in the meantime that you can buy our first 200 episodes and our apps and our albums, including Answer Me This Christmas, folks. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. From our bespoke website, answermethisstore.com They're also available on iTunes and Amazon. We make less money that way, even though you're paying the same price. But any of those ways, we're happy with. It's all money. It's all money. Yeah. Um, just different amounts. And also, please, uh, listen to our other podcasts. Um, in between Answer Me This is, uh, mine is The Allusionist. Mine is The Modern Man with two N's. Mine is Song by Song. And uh, we'd like to thank Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. And I would like to say congratulations to Will, who wrote in to episode 344, saying he was having his jaws realigned, but oh, also yeah. he might uh, have to accept an award and do a speech. He did win the award, did not have to do a speech. What a result for Will. Oh, jaws realigned. Will. It's wow. all coming up, Will. Mazal tov. Yes. And Merry Christmas. It's a mixed message. Um, and uh, we'll see you in 2017. When we will be age 10. Remember, if you've got a message for that show, call the question line now and leave us your voicemail. And you could be in our 10th anniversary show. Yes, lovely. Bye! Bye.